0: It's Friday, November 23rd. Welcome to episode five of Insert Content Here.
1: Insert content here. Words intentionally unclear. rap pap dee doo
0: Insert content here. Hi, I'm Jeff Eaton, senior architect at Lullabot, uh, your host for Insert Content Here. I'm here with uh, Andrew Barry, uh, another senior architect with Lullabot, and uh, Mark Danziger, an old friend uh, who's been wrangling technology projects for a long time. Um, you guys, um, you guys have been working on a new project with NBC, and it's really, really interesting. It's um, as, as I understand it, it's a, it's a large scale, I guess, knowledge base. Slash project tracking system, floor wax, dessert topping. It, it, it's one of those projects um, that tends to be like one of those huge, you know, content content-rich projects. We we all sort of imagine and hear about, but rarely get a chance to you know really really dive too deep into you know figuring out what lessons were learned. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk to you guys and, and find out um, what your experiences have been with it and uh, what we can learn from it. So. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot. Glad Thanks, to be here. Jeff. Before we get too deep into it, um, give, me, give me a little background. What 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 is
2: the Juno project? So, Andrew, why don't you let me take that? This is Mark, and um, I was brought in to one of the internal web development groups at NBC to look at structure and sort of methodology, and... Um, Basically, I've got a a long background in in wrangling projects and a specialty in reviving dead projects (laughs) and, you know, thump on the chest, put the paddles on. And one of the things that I learned over the years of trying to bring these things back to life was that consistently what killed them was sort of a combination of organizational deficit and sort of methodological failure. Which either looks like clinging too tightly to a methodology when it's clearly not working or not really having a methodology and hoping for the best. And so as I looked at what was going on at NBC, we made a couple of organizational changes in response and did some things that aren't really on topic here. But one of the things that was really problematic was the tool set they were using. And they were basically doing everything in Basecamp and Rise. Now I love Basecamp and Highrise. I have actually managed a bunch of stuff using Basecamp, and I think that for small teams that are really communication-driven, it's an awesome tool. I mean, so so in case anyone from Thirty Seven Signals ever hears this, please don't send hitmen <laughs> to my house. Uh, but the team at NBC was approximately 350 people running. Upward of a thousand projects. And oh, the reality yeah. is that Basecamp doesn't scale well at that level. And to make it worse, they have a need to be able to share information. You couldn't partition it and have multiple instances of Basecamp, right? They have a need to be able to share information because people move in and out of these projects laterally very frequently in that team. And as a bonus, there's going to be a lot of
0: ands in this.
2: There's a lot of ands. This is, a, <laughs> this is one of those like super compound sentences. Um, they, they use a 37 Signals prod, product called HiRise as a CRM because, again, they're an internal web dev shop. They have customers. They have partners. They have vendors. They have to keep track of a wide range of people and their interactions with them. And there's a bunch of deficits in, in, you know, from their point of view in HiRise and in the relationship between HiRise and Basecamp. And so I pushed them very hard to look at new tools. And the initial response, you know, was go away. Don't talk to us about this. We have other problems that are much bigger. Um, and as we began to knock down the bigger problems and, and things really were kind of, you know, moving forward, you know, I'm a persistent guy and I kept saying, but hey, how about the tools? And I finally sort of got authority To say, okay, go out and look in the market and find these tools that do these six or seven things. And the six or seven things are tight integration between CRM and project management. Meaning that I can take a view of a person and I can look at all the projects that they've been associated with or attached with and, and, you know, go back in time and see those roll transparently. The ability to take a project all the way back in time into the sales cycle, meaning that when in the CRM, I'm having a sales-driven conversation with a customer, and I promise that at the end of the project, they'll have a pony. The fact that
0: they want a pony is recorded and the promise (laughs) is recorded.
2: The promise is recorded. And, And when at the end of the project, we deliver the project and the customer goes, hey, but where's my pony? And the development team looks at each other and goes, what pony? What are you talking about? Right, it is. It isn't a matter of doing archaeology to be able to go back into the conversation the salesperson had, and find that yes, in fact, he actually did promise a pony, and now you have to go deal with that in some in some you know way, shape, or form. The other problem is that it has to support the 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 the, the information architecture of projects has to be relatively rich, and what you tend to wind up with in project management is tools that either treat projects as a collection of tasks, right? You decompose the project, and it's a, a task or a ticket, and there's really not a lot of structure to it. You might have dependency, but, but it's not really very rich. You sort of and end it, up with the world's biggest to-do list and a wiki. That's right. That's, that's pretty much exactly how most of them work. And what winds up happening is that all of them are at the same level. So it's kind of impossible to sort out a ticket for a user story, from a ticket for a development task, from a ticket for a QA fail. And so you wind up with a lot of intellectual horsepower being spent by the team trying to deal with that. And within (laughs) this group at at NBC, there's a variety of methodologies. Um, They were working very hard to move to Scrum. And so we had a bunch of scrum-based teams that were using Rally. But Rally, it doesn't really support... Even though Rally supports user story management, it really doesn't support it in a way that anybody not in a dev team is going to ever realistically use. Um, they had teams that were doing kind of rad, and they had teams that were doing pretty much straight ahead waterfall. And so one of the, one of the design goals or one of the the, the, the buying goals... Was it whatever the project management tool was? It had to support a variety of different methodologies. It couldn't have a methodology baked into it. Where if I buy Rally, I'm going to be doing Agile, or if I buy Niku Workbench, I'm going to be doing Waterfall. I
0: feel like at this point in the story, we've we've successfully like you know trapped our heroes in the in the sinking ship, think, pretty um, much.
2: And then it's upside <laughs> down, and, you know. Then the sparks are flying, and and, and the, the flame machines are running
0: exactly. So so I uh, so you see the problem. Yeah, yeah. It's there's a, a lot of interconnected uh, problems. I, I'm just imagining sort of the whiteboard sketches that came out of this this initial it, set of uh, discussions.
2: And, and so I went out and I looked at a bunch of projects. I have I have like ninety. I probably have 90 accounts in different free trial versions (laughs) of different online project management tools. Yep. And I came back and said, none of them really do what we want. You could build something out in SharePoint. You could, there's some modules that you could devise that would plug into Jive or would Drupal work? And there was an attraction to using Drupal because one of the main work products of this team is Drupal-based content management workflows. They, they, they are moving most of the major sites in NBC, or many or some large number of the sites, onto Drupal as a content management system. And so there was a whole eating your own cooking kind of flavor in this. Mm-hmm. And Mark Suri, who's the guy that runs the team, and I sat in his office and you know, we raised the idea and we kind of looked at each other and went, you know, he knows a lot about Drupal. I know some about Drupal. And we both had the same kind of puzzled look on our face, like, could you actually do that? Would it work? <laughs> that's, that's always
0: the worst question to ask a Drupal developer. Can you do that with Drupal? The answer is always yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> um. so, so basically, at that point, Andrew gets involved. And Mark was kind enough to fund a proof of concept, which I think was a very, very smart way to do it. And we agreed that we would do kind of a three-month, very lightweight build that would show us how far Drupal would take us toward the actual product that we really wanted. And, um, you know, I kind of, you know, was the customer. Um, Andrew and a team came in from Lullabot who were, you know, and I'll, I'll put in a plug, delightful to work with. And, um, and I set one kind of hard and fast rule, which was no custom code. Interesting. Which was that for the proof of concept, we had to find out how much of the functional map of the desired product native Drupal would do through configuration. Interesting. Because, because one of the concerns that we had, and then I'm going to toss the baton over to Andrew to talk about the experience of building it, was that we we didn't want to wind up on a fork.
0: Yeah, because you know, it, th- theoretically, it could achieve all of that functionality, but if that meant you were essentially writing your own PHP application from scratch, you know, right. it that, wasn't that,
2: that useful. That was exactly the issue. And so it was one of these questions where, you know, can we get enough functionality out of Drupal that we can handcuff ourselves to the Drupal community and be reasonably comfortable that we are going to be in this relationship for the five to seven years that a product like this really lasts. And, um, they wrote the check. Andrew and the team came on board. They were, I think a little puzzled at first about what <laughs> we we're doing and, 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 and why this weird guy from California was, was making all these demands of them. <laughs> and, uh, and then the party started. And, uh, with that, I'll hand the baton over to Andrew. Yeah. I'm
0: I'm extremely curious. Um, I mean, because it, it sounds like, you know, especially as you were coming into that, um, what kind of first steps did you guys take just in trying to decompose that amount of functionality? And like, I'm thinking in terms of just all of the different kinds of content objects and the content entities that are involved in, you know, that rich of functionality. What kind of steps did you guys, you know, initially take just in trying to I'm trying to figure out how to break things down and how to bring some sort of shared order to so many different pieces of functionality that had previously been siloed.
1: Well, uh, one thing which I think is interesting about what we did with the proof of concept work was that we weren't just uh, prototyping to see what Drupal could do. We were also sort of using it as a way to throw up quick and easy user interfaces for the content model and see how that would actually work or could potentially work. Uh, Because I think, at least from when I came into the project, which was a couple months before the proof of concept, something which I found really interesting was that, for the most part, we had a pretty good idea of all of the different uh, parts of the content model that we needed to actually keep track of. But what we didn't really know was how they were connected to one another or what the, the hierarchy uh, would be between them. And so, uh, well, Mark, maybe you could talk about how did you actually figure out what the first sort of, I don't know, five or seven different content objects were? Um, basically
2: because... We divided, I divided it really into two, into two parts. And the, we had a, a sort of a phrase, right, which is that it, a piece of content is about X and attached to Y. And so the, the issue was that we knew that we had to keep track of people. We knew we had to keep track of projects. And that was really what, what we started with. And then you begin to wind up with things like organizations that people roll up into and groups that users wind up being involved with. And in fact, I need users. I can't just have people. Users are different than people. And so that kind of became the core five, I call them entities, you know, content types, which were people, users who are a subset of people, organizations which people roll up into and which are recursive so that I can wind up having organizations that stack, you know, up to the, very high-level corporate ones. And groups, which people belong to, which are potentially ad hoc or more persistent. And finally, engagements, which are supersets of projects. So in theory, an engagement could be a persistent discussion about something, which turns into a opportunity to build something, which turns into a deal that we're negotiating, which turns into a project which turns into a completed project, an abandoned project, or whatever we choose, and that gives you at least the the life cycle of the project in one place that you can keep track of it.
0: Now that that's actually really interesting to me because you know in, in the content world you know there's a lot of people that talk about um, life cycle issues with with uh, content, but uh, you know a, a large amount a large amount of that is In relation to ideas like articles or pages on a website that, you know, eventually need to be changed or modified or updated or may get old and be taken down. But I mean, that's really interesting, the idea of, you know, the life cycle of, you know, a a content entity in this system mapping to like, you know, a, a given idea or topic or, you know, team or whatever transitioning between between, you know, from project to project to, you know. Offline discussions or something like that. that. That that's a that's a sort of interesting corollary to a lot
2: of the pure publishing models that we're used to talking about. Well, I think part of the metaphor that drove this is the idea that a project is nothing but a collection of content, and that you know, it and the goal is to enable to, to create enabling content because. In reality, the people who do the work, the Andrews of the world, the yous of the world, are, you know, your work is really the project. But to manage the project successfully, I have to have a bunch of content that I supply you so you can do your work. I have to be able to age that contact content and verge, version that content. And I have to be able to have some way of keeping track of the state of things as the guy writing the checks so that I have can maintain some level of comfort that the project's actually moving forward.
0: Yeah, no, that, that that's very interesting because I know that there's a couple of um, you know other developers that I know that we we've talked a lot about this idea of you know of you know ticketing systems. So, so much project oriented stuff that developers used to working with are so heavily geared towards ticketing systems and source control, um, but maintaining the larger body of knowledge that evolves as a project goes on is. Uh, it feels like the tools are just nowhere near near as close, and it, it it's interesting to see that that's essentially what you guys are are building here. So that's yep. that's very cool.
2: No, it's a, it's a knowledge management system around projects. I'm I'm
0: curious, like it, the starting out with that sort of prototype um, model. Well, it sounds like there there were actually a couple of phases to this. It sounds like you know there was a lot of initial work around you know how we do projects, Mark. That it sounds like you guys you you were doing with the the NBC team that evolved into we need tools to better support how we know we we're actually doing this. And I think it sounds like the the underlying conceptual work that you guys were doing beforehand really was a big advantage going into this phase because you had a good handle on. What the tools were actually supporting, and what things they needed to do, um, and but then like as Andrew, as as you and and the other you know devs on our team came on, um, like how 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 much iterative um, work do you think was necessary to start feeling like we're going in the right direction? Because I know that you know with with content heavy stuff, especially things like getting the model right and feeling like there's a you know the 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 workflow for it feels. Well baked, um, you know that that usually takes some time. What kind of iterative processes did you guys go? go excuse me, did you guys go through?
1: Right. Well. Um, we really did make that a, a core part of the the proof of concept process that we did, and all in, I think that was about three months worth of work there, and it was very much a situation where, on the one hand, we were taking stock Drupal modules and doing pure configuration in terms of the user interface and in terms of the content objects and their fields and so on, but we were also in really tight contact with uh, the stakeholders at NBC and the people who actually use the existing systems over Ah. at Basecamp and Rise. because we needed to be able to show them some of these forms and some of these displays and say, okay, so does this actually map at least the minimum functionality that you're currently using today to get your jobs done? Because uh, one of our, our biggest concerns about the project as a whole was, What would happen if we got to a point where we launched the new system and ended up in a situation where what we launched had all kinds of awesome, really useful functionality, but missed one or two things which were actually useful and really critical that Basecamp or HiRise were supporting that all of a sudden people could no longer do? Um, And so we've been very – this was very much not a – Uh, An isolated science project in the sense that we were completely isolated from our users and just looking at it from a technical standpoint and saying, hey, can we build this in Drupal? Uh, Even during the proof of concept phase, we were really treating it sort of like an agile project where at the end of every sprint, we would do a demo with our stakeholders uh, with the, you know, the, the total assumption with them that we set the expectations that this is not what the system is going to look like when you actually use it. This is pure configuration. We've kind of tied our hands behind our back so that we get an idea of how viable this is. But they could still look at it and think, hey, this is a system I could use, or this is something that at least I'm interested in, in working and supporting with later. So I think without that, it would have been We could have totally done all of the technical side of things, but I honestly think, I mean, it's been another six months since we completed the proof of concept phase and have been building out the system for real. Uh, You know, I honestly think if we hadn't have done that, that we probably would have ended up being delayed by an additional six months uh, simply because we would have had to go back to all the stakeholders and say, hey, what do you actually want us to build?
0: (laughs) That's an important clarifying question right there. (laughs) Uh, no, that, that, that's actually really interesting. The, um, cause that's something that's been discussed a lot in the Drupal world and there's a lot of overlap too in, in like the content strategy world. The idea that, you know, even once the model is there and once supporting tools are there, there, there has to be an awareness of what the impact is on the people who are actually editing and, you know, maintaining the content on an ongoing basis, the, the users of the system. Um, you know, were, were there any particular, um, Surprising bits that, that came out of those conversations, things that you had thought were going to be important but ended up not being, or, or vice versa?
1: Well, I think uh, one of the sort of really thorny issues we've had a, a ton of work and a ton of conversations around relate to access controls on the content objects and how we map what sort of the user expectations are. And what the business needs are in terms of mapping access controls and exposing them to end users. Uh, because this is the one area where we don't really have a, a model to follow with uh, Basecamp and High Rise. In fact, the way it works right now at NBC is that there's the people who have access to high-rise, which is the CRM portion of what they do. And if you have access to high-rise, you have access to everything, which means that it's relatively restricted in terms of what content is available, and people who are using that system don 't think in terms of necessarily who i 'm sharing this with, or what groups have access to these notes about the sales call I had with Bob last week, but it 's just sort of the the gate where you know if you can get into high rise, you can get into high rise mm-hmm. and uh you know likewise, it means that the people who are in base camp don't necessarily have to worry about being exposed to information they shouldn't be exposed to. But of course, it leads back to that problem that Mark was talking about, where you aren't able to backtrack a project and figure out what was actually communicated to the clients in the early stages of the sale. So, uh, you know, I think some of the things in regards to access control in particular probably are... um, I would say that probably the biggest thing that came out which I found interesting is that we were able to disentangle group access control from user access control so that you're choosing one set of access control or the other. Uh, and the way I like to explain this is like, uh, with email systems, if you're sending an email message, you can send something to a mailing list and you can also CC an individual and everyone will get access to that message because they're all included in the to field. Uh, but when we actually were, were discussing how they would use access controls, uh, it turned out, well, almost always they just needed to share with people on their current development team or people in their division of the organization or very specific named individuals within the system. So it meant that we were able to drastically simplify our, our user interface for managing access controls and also drastically simplify some of the backend code in terms of how we, we grant access to content. Um, so that's sort of the one area that I found you know, ended up having some pretty serious changes uh mark i'm sure you've got a couple to add to it
2: Um, i think that in some of the very early models we had we were much more concerned about sort of content promotion and content sort of identification and i think that as we worked with the users and we had a very interesting kind of you know opportunity Because let's remember that the users who are going to be using the system are the people deeply invested in building it, right? The project manager from NBC who is overseeing development of this project is one of the primary customers of the project itself. So we have this real great opportunity in that it's not like I'm a developer and a project manager and a technology team and I'm building this tool for a content management team that I I don't really know how they work and I haven't lived their life and I you know I, I don't do what they do day to day. Um you know the people building this are the user community. And so it was, you know, within our team and with a with the immediate round of stakeholders that we had a lot of discussions which really wound up simplifying a lot of the stuff that we started with as ideas. You know, we started with these really complicated sort of interesting, you know, content tagging and scoring ideas and some things like that. And it's not, I don't really need that. Yep. You know, if, if it's chronological, I can find it. And if I can, if I've got a really good search engine, I can find it. And if I know kind of where to go look for it, th- that, that's much better.
0: Now that, that actually brings us to sort of, I mean, one of the, one of the persistent challenges with anything of this scope and scale, the the whole question of like findability and, you know, how, how you guys have approached um, making it possible for people to actually find the the needles in the proverbial haystacks in, in a system like this. Um, I know, Andrew, we've we've chatted very, very briefly about some of the stuff you guys are doing. But is there any 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 particular stuff you've run into with that or uh, approaches that you're taking?
1: Right. So. Um, One of the things which uh we had a series of really productive discussions that you know took a long time because we weren't understanding each other because it was so complicated was the the difference between finding content and browsing for content and I think one of the reasons why initially it just took a lot of brain power to get over how to describe those things is because we weren't using the same terminology to describe what we wanted to do. Or we had conflicting terms where, you know, I would say something and uh, it would mean something totally different to other users of the system. And this wasn't even a case of, you know, Drupal terminology uh, causing problems. It was even sort of more basic than that. But, um, you know, throughout, maybe I'll say the whole course of my involvement on this project, there's maybe throughout three quarters of that, there's been very explicit um, features for finding content and browsing for content. And I actually put a lot of credit for some of the resolutions we had between those two with the, the head of UX that we've been working with over at NBC who said, well, why do I need to browse for content if I can just find it? Like, when do people ever look for an alternative browser interface to Google? you know, if it doesn't exist on Google, it doesn't exist and people move on. And uh, we basically were able to go from that and say, okay, well, we need to have a really awesome and usable and functional search engine. So that way we don't have to have browsing at all as a set of functionality. Uh, You know, if people can't, you know use the search box and use facets that we expose to filter the information down into in a reasonable and efficient manager or manner then we've we 've failed our users and so that sort of allowed us to really really focus on finding content as functional as a set of functionality and uh, we 've been doing a lot of work on that pretty recently actually and it 's been it 's been really productive and really exciting because uh, we get a lot of tools with Drupal out of the box that. Uh, we can use and expose and it turns out that there are things we get basically for free that uh, you know some of our our UX team just weren't aware of and so we're almost having we have so many ways that we can search and filter for content we're actually pairing things back and removing functionality we get for free to try and keep it so that it's not too uh, confusing to end users but uh, it'll be. I'm actually really excited to see what will happen once, once we get the system in front of people and they start putting in data into the system and looking at some of the metrics we'll hopefully be able to gather in regards to how successful our efforts have been there.
0: Cool. Cool. You know, I'll, I, I have to. You know, you mentioned, you know, as people, have been, as people are putting more data in there, I'll, I'll mention this, the, t- the terrifying words, uh, content migration. <laughs> uh, how, how have you guys been approaching that especially given like the the diverse systems that you're trying to you know that you're trying to pull together functionality from what's been the the approach for that
1: so I think the the hardest part of what we've been having to deal with has been mapping the data from the old systems to the new systems, because we've come up with this new content model. We aren't just building a new base camp or a new high-rise. We're building a new way of managing information. And so we do have to really sort of focus on how the data coming out from the source systems which is relatively unstructured and uh it's not sort of built among uh built out of relationships between things it's a a little bit flatter than that and how we'll pull that into uh juno and see how it ends up uh you know mapping in a way so that people can find the content that they've already put in Um, One of the really good decisions that we've made, I think, just from a a project management and migration standpoint, is we aren't migrating both high-rise data and basecamp data at the same time. Uh, we're initially going to be launching the system just as a replacement for high-rise, and Basecamp will be continued to be in use until we migrate the data from it later. And we can do this in a way because uh, all the data is totally separate, even though uh, it's you know sort of one account and they're both products owned by 37 signals, there's no real dependencies between the systems. So that has allowed us to really focus on one use case in terms of bringing in the data. Um, we're also really focusing on you know, getting, a, I'll call it a continuous migration, but not in the sense that data is coming in automatically from high-rise because we don't have a, a great API for doing that, but really uh, focusing on getting the migration done as early and as quickly as possible so that way uh, we're able to be uh, very, very proactive in terms of any issues that come up with the migration. Because there have been definitely been times where data has come out that doesn't match the schema that describes how the data is supposed to be. Or there is data which is actually uh, composite where uh, what you see in the user interface is uh, you know, calculated somehow by other data in the system. And we have to figure out how we're going to map that into the new, new information in Juno. So uh, we definitely started, I, we started with the migration as soon as we started real development. We didn't wait at all. And I think that's sort of the, the most important advice I can give to anyone else looking at content migration is you know, be very very afraid of the th- skeletons you will <laughs> find and if you don't find them then you will be very lucky and very happy and things will go smoothly but just assume the worst because odds are uh it's going to be even more worse than you imagine though it hasn't for us in this case which has been really good
0: yeah the uh you know when, when should you start the content migration the answer is always yesterday <laughs>
1: exactly
2: and, and I think the other thing we did was we looked at, so, so we have sort of logical data types and physical data types. And we, we sort of, you know, didn't reverse engineer Basecamp. This is not a, a, a Basecamp built in Drupal. Um, but we, what we did do was make sure that all of the primary kind of content types that a user de- deals with had, a, had some sort of an analog in the new system so that I didn't orphan any content. There was no content that existed in Basecamp that there's just no place for here. And, um, and I think that was sort of a, a very early design principle, which I'm sure didn't really help a lot in terms of the physical data, you know, data migration, but which at least made sure that we covered the data types and there's, no, there's nothing that r- sort of we're stranded about.
1: The other thing we did also was we actually did an analysis of what data we had, because we discovered that there were a couple types of data in high rise where there were something like three or five records that were created near the beginning of when the account had been set up and uh, didn't contain any useful information, or even more recent records that we, you know, we didn't necessarily have an analog to, but it turned out that they were all created by one user who was perfectly happy to copy and paste their data uh, for those three pieces of content from the old system to the new system. So we tried to be really, really pragmatic about what we import and where possible, you know if we find content that appears to be a bit of an edge case or does, just doesn't have a sizable amount in the system, it probably means people aren't using it and aren't accessing it and it's not that important anyways. And so we've had uh, some pretty you know serious stakeholder involvement in, uh, in those discussions because uh, most of the time it turns out that we can just save ourselves tons of dev hours by not importing the content we don't need. That, I,
0: I like that solution. I'm a big fan of just uh, deciding what you can toss. <laughs> um, so... I think, but I think before we before we finish up, like I, I guess there's there's a lot of stuff here. Are there any particular like hard won lessons or you know bits of advice you could give to any other teams or people who are sort of starting on this process of tackling like the, these large scale knowledge base you know kinds of problems um, for organizations. Um, both e- either on the technical side, you know, I'm, I'm curious if you've got any thoughts on that, Andrew, and and also just purely on the organizational side, like what, what are, what are some, some good must do's?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I mean, from a, a technical side, um, I would simply say that from a, for a Drupal developer, we like to say, yes, that Drupal can do anything. Um, and it was really tempting just to say, yes, of course we can. But, we actually did quite a bit of thinking about it and research and discussions uh both to make sure that Drupal could do what uh NBC was telling us it wanted they wanted it to do and to make sure that NBC was actually telling us what they wanted to do um there you know there's two sides oh, to that, that, that that's a subtle one yeah i like it, that it, uh but it was really um, critical, I think, because I think if we had started this project with, hey, we have this system and we're going to hire you to build it in Drupal, uh, I think we we would have ended up with something that was a little bit more fragile and, I'll, dare I say, a little bit more hacky than what we've ended up with because we wouldn't have had time to sort of process and figure out the hard problems. So, you know, as sort of Drupal and open source evangelists, um, it's really great to be able to tell our clients, yes, of course, Drupal or our preferred uh, tool of choice can do this, but I think it's really important to do, do, to make that decision from an informed perspective. And I think our, our very, very initial work, just asking the question, can Drupal do this? Does Do we get enough out of the box from Drupal and contributed modules to model the content in a way that makes sense to us and our end users? Um, are we going to end up rewriting this in some other PHP or Ruby or other framework later? Um, I think asking those questions early uh, meant that even though, yes, we did decide Drupal uh, you know, was the, the right decision for this project, it really helped ensure that uh, you know, we were just giving our, our clients sort of the, the best possible answer we could give them.
2: Yeah, I think, I think I'll, I'll sort of stack three that are all kind of different domains, but somehow seem tied in my own head. Um, and actually a fourth one, which is always work with great people. Um, and I'm serious about that. I mean, I, I was chatting with um, a, young, a young guy I know who is a product manager and who's putting a team together. And we had a long talk about what it takes to put teams together. And I said, you know, the basic rule is that if you have great people on your team, really good things can, not necessarily will, but can happen. Um, and I think first thing is that um, ideas are like children and you're very attached to them. And one of the hard things about building anything successful is that you intermittently have to kill, you know, a, a large number of ideas. And uh, we we collaboratively decided that the motto of this early on was cruel simplicity and that we were going to work very hard to simplify kind of every decision, every design pattern, every piece of UX, and that if it needed to be more elaborate later after users had worked with it, we would make it more elaborate, but that we were going to de-elaborate everything we possibly could. And I think that was a real winning decision. Um, And I think it made a, particularly in a project this complex, it made a big, big difference. Um, I think another piece of it is that we baked change management a little bit into delivery. Um, The failure mode in projects like this is always, virtually always change management. And it is that the developers deliver something and it works and it's in the domain that it was expected to be in. But because the users don't expect it, the users weren't involved in it, the users don't have any ownership of it, when it comes time for them to use it, Their natural resistance to doing something new and their natural insecurity about, you know, being successful at their jobs because that's what they're here to do winds up leading to incredible pushback against the system. And as a result, what we wind up with is the classic case where you finish development and two years later, I've got 10 users out of 1,000. And um, in this case, you know, in part because our users are you know, doing a lot of the work. Um, we, we really baked in, well, how are you going to use this every day? Like, like how is this going to work when you're actually in front of it as part of the requirements and development process in a way that I've never done really in a project before? And so the anxiety that I have or that the leadership that's going to be implementing it at NBC has um, about actual successful implementation is very low. And I think the third piece of it is um, one in which, you know, in part because we had a team entire – and it's not just the Lullabots who were great. We had great UX people from NBC. We had, you know, just the whole stack of people with the probable exception of me as the, the consultant who sort of, you know, made everyone tear their hair out on a regular basis <laughs> uh, was, was really outstanding. And once, that we, when, once the team sort of managed to create an environment where everybody felt like they got to speak on every issue and where the QA people got to respond to UX decisions and the UX people got to talk to the developers about how things were being done and where the developers would share with the UX people, hey, this is how Drupal does it naturally. What do you, what do you like about that and what don't you like about that? And once those conversations started happen, happening kind of organically, um, the project became kind of emergent, and it was really something that I know took a lot. Has taken a lot of work, but it didn't feel to me like people were putting a lot of effort into getting that work done. If that makes any sense at all. And Andrew, you should, you know, tell me I'm either full of it or, or that that's <laughs> reasonably accurate.
1: No, I think you're you're pretty much on there. I mean, from my perspective, I think the. The biggest key to success from this project has been having this very very integrated team where we don't have for an example a developer scrum and a ux scrum and a qa scrum uh, it does mean that some of our meetings end up being a little bit long simply because there's so many people on them but it does mean that everyone is equally invested in the project um, especially where i when i've worked on other projects before where typically it usually ends up being the QA team is somewhat separated, and then the design or UX team is somewhat separated, uh, especially when we're using a tool like Drupal, where we get so much functionality out of the box. Um, if you don't have those lines of communication open, it can lead to some serious project inefficiencies, because UX is designing from a blank slate or from some using their basis of experience from some other system and not considering what Drupal gives us for free that might be different but just as good or very close to it uh, and likewise the the QA team often ends up QA'ing things in Drupal that don't need to be QA'd because they haven't changed since Drupal 3.6 so uh, I think it's been a, a very good experience that way for, for us, or at least from from my side as the the architect on the project, just to see how we've been able to keep everyone integrated and invested. And I think it's really led to this shared feeling of project ownership where everyone, regardless of… What company or what division or what team they're from they are we are all on the Juno team, and I think that is really uh, you know helped for the the success of the project
0: well fantastic thank you very much um, it, you know before we go is there you know is there any place that we're going to be we'll be able to get more news about this because I think you've talked about the potential for some parts of the project eventually you know going out there into the broader community where they could be reused. Are are there any plans to make announcements about that if it happens?
2: There are discussions going on right now with NBC about the future of Juno in sort of that regard. Um, It's clearly, you know, NBC's product um, to the extent it can be under, under GPL. Um, But they are the, 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 the executives at NBC or that I've talked to about it are very interested in in seeing it become more now NBC is a giant corporation and many layers of bureaucracy and lawyers and and on and on so that little green sprout of an idea has some some pavement to get through before it can hit sunlight um, But but will absolutely be publicizing it aggressively Um, no matter what the future is, if it actually manages to get out the doors past NBC.
0: Well, awesome. Thank you very much for joining me and uh, look forward to uh, chatting with you guys in the future.
2: Absolutely. Thanks a ton. Great talking to you both. Sure thing, Jeff. It was great.